So I've, I've been sharing a bit on and off about these exercises that I've been doing. It's not an individual exercise, it's actually a communal exercise. There, originally there were two other guys uh, that were doing it with me. One of them eventually had to drop out for life reasons, but another staff and I are walking daily through different passages kind of following the life of Jesus, right? And the invitation in this exercise, they're called Ignatian exercises, at least we're at right now, is not just to contemplate from afar, like we often do, you know, like watching a movie or something, but to actually put yourself into the story, to walk with Jesus in the midst of what he's dealing with, to experience what he's experienced, you know, to feel what he feels, um, to join him in his, in his daily life and in his suffering so you can imagine how excited I was when we turned to the Passion Week, which is where we're close to now, and the week before as he enters Jerusalem and, and does the, um, uh, the, the Last Supper, right? And one by one, all of his close allies basically abandon him. You know, they turn on him. They, they're just not understanding him. Um, uh, you know, some of them outright betray him in the midst of all this. And I asked to actually sit with Jesus in this place and experience what he's experiencing, and I'm not doing very well. I don't like this. I don't know what, for you, I mean, I think it had always been easy to watch those things and go, oh, that's horrible that they treated Jesus that way. But to actually put yourself in that story and imagine being that, it just, as I've been doing that, it reminds me of the times I felt betrayed in my life, in my leadership. It reminds me of the times I felt abandoned. It reminds me of the times that I was afraid for my own life, and it's, it's really, really hard. So I was sharing this with a, um, the woman, the spiritual director who's leading us through this, how I'm not really interested in this part of the story. I like what we were doing before when Jesus' ministry was healing people, you know, and raising the dead. And now as we walk towards death, and I think about my own uh, struggles physically. I think about the deaths that I've experienced recently in my life. I'm having a super hard time entering into this experience. This is just really, really hard. And she said to me, she said, Peter, the invitation here is for you. I know you felt, feel alone. I know you feel you're struggling. The invitation is for you is just to join Jesus and be with him when no one else would. Now, I, I want to avoid this, but I realize this isn't a new invitation, right? This is a real one that we've all been given. This is exactly what Christ invites us to when he, says to, when he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Right? Deny your life. Deny the things that you want, the things that you desire, right? Um, uh, and, and take up the cross, take up the, the suffering of life, experience what I experience. And he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This, this ties in, I'll get to the point where this ties in. The whole idea behind today is this idea of group identity. What do we, what do we identify around, right? Who are we as a group of people? Um, and I was listening I, this to a song recently. It's, I didn't realize it's like 14 years old now. I'm like, oh my gosh, time's going by so fast. It was a big thing on campus, you know, 10 and 14 years ago. It's, you know, Jesus culture, where you go, I go. 
you know that one. The, the, the lyrics are, where you go, I go, what you say, I say, what you pray, I pray. Um, they're pretty simple lyrics, right? Jesus only did what he saw you do. He would, on, uh, he, he would only um, say what you say when he heard you speak. Uh, he would only move when he felt you lead, following your heart, following your spirit. And then how could I expect to walk without you when every move that Jesus made was in surrender? How, I, how could I begin to live without you because you are, are always worthy and you are always good? You know? And I was, I was wondering as I was listening to this song, like as I've gotten older and I've become more and more aware of exactly what it means to, to go where Jesus goes, to say what he says, to pray what he prays, to kind of live out that place, can I really sing this song anymore in good conscience? You know, when I used to sing, it'd be like, yes, Jesus. And I know students today are, of course, send me anywhere, right? Because that's how students tend to be. But when, when, you get, when you're asked to go places that are really difficult and really hard, when you're asked to give up things that you've really kind of like, you know what it's like if you decide to move now. Some of us know what that's like. We look around our house and go, oh, it's too hard. Forget it, right? I've accumulated too much stuff and it's too hard. And then I've, become, I've rooted myself here and I don't want to leave. Yeah, what if Jesus said to me, you know, or to Lori, pack up your bag, sell your things and go to this foreign country? Or even let's take, a, let's take a relevant example. I want you to go to Poland and serve the refugees from Ukraine. Could you do it? Would you say yes? Right. I, I don't know if you've been asked this question. This is the kind of question we ask college students all the time because they're ripe for those kinds of questions. You know, they're idealistic, sorry but they are, right? And, and they get excited about this kind of stuff and that's like they want that kind of passion. But when it comes to someone who's in their late 50s like I am, it's a whole different story. I don't know, any of you, can you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Let me let me make it. Yeah, yeah. Let me. Yeah. No. Let me let me make it clear in a clear way that will be more direct, and I may get in trouble for this. All right. That that's not the issue for most of us. Most of us, the issue is when we retire, we're thinking about where we're going to move to, where we're going to live. Right. I'm going to move somewhere else. I'm going to go somewhere warm. I'm going to go somewhere comfortable. How many of us think about staying in the community that God's planted us in? And that God might have called us here for our lifetime. That, that's, is that a little bit more real? That's a different question. That's, yeah. But it is the same thing, right? Because it's all about following Jesus wherever he leads, right? And the, and the question is, where do you want me to be, Jesus? And that's not typically how we think. We typically think, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? Who do I want to be? Is that fair? Yeah, and not just with Jesus, but with the community of God that he's placed us in, right? And it's a hard question. I mean, in America, we have, we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of ability, right? 
And we're oft so that's often why we feel like we have the freedom to go where we want to go and do what we want to do. But how often when we do those things are we asking the Lord, is this your will for me? Is this what you want? Is this where you desire? You know, one of the things that I, I realized, mind you, I, I'll be honest with you, and I've said this before in one way or another, I really struggle with people that church hop. Because I think they're really missing out on something. But I also think they're really hurting the body of Christ at the same time. Because it's not about the body of Christ, it's about them personally, right? And I've, and I've done that. And I had to come face to face with it when I was confronted years ago, and I share this from yeah, Alex G., in the way I, we left Fountain of Life. Was that the best thing? Was that, well, we didn't talk with anybody. We didn't process with them. We made the decision based on the fact that we felt this deep need we weren't being, that wasn't being fulfilled or met there. That wasn't fair to them. Um, you know, that wasn't fair to the kingdom of God either. Is that okay, Chris? Okay, so I thank you. I appreciate that. It does. It is that, that kind of yeah, rah, rah, go kind of thing. Yeah, I can feel very evangelical in terms of its nature. But I think the call on all of us is always to be, where do, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus where he leads? Are we willing to do that? Even laying down, I mean, when it comes down to, right, are we willing to even lay down our own life? I, so again, I can't, that, that thing, yes, it's idealistic where you go, I go, what you say, I say, what you pray, I pray. But on the other hand, I think, what, have you experienced times in your life when you've just stopped and you said, Okay, I'm not going to say what comes out of my mouth, Jesus, what I want to say. I'm going to listen to you and ask you what you want me to say. What happens? I, when I've done it, I've experienced, like I did this, I actually did this with my prayer partner the other day. I, I was like, he was talking and talking, and I'm like, I was just going to, you know, say, yeah, great, let's pray. And, uh, and, uh, and I was like, you know, I need, a, I need to take a minute away. So I said, hey, I, can you give me a break? I need to go get, a, get something to drink. So I went and got a drink, and I came down, I sat down, and I was like, okay, what do I say? And the question that came out of my mouth was, Mark, that's his, his name, Mark, um, what, do you, what is God teaching you through all of this? And he was like, what? He was a little struck by the question. It's not a hard question, right? But it's a good one. How are you experiencing God's presence where you're at in your life right now with all that's going on? And that led to a really amazing discussion afterwards. But again, I, I felt like that was a moment where I stopped you know, just depending on my own wisdom and strength and ask the Lord instead. Um, I, 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 we're, we're talking today, we're supposed to be talking today about identity, right? Group identity, right? This idea is, um, of this chapter is that, um, is that we're formed together in community. Um, how many of you had a chance to read chapter five? A couple of you? Yeah, all right. So we're formed together in community. So, so the idea, in order to create a, 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 a community of God, we need to have joy in our relationships. Love is the thing that binds us together. And then we need a clear group identity of what it means for us to be like Christ. What does the character of Christ look like displayed in us, right? Um, and when we do that, it forms and shapes us. That's how our character can change. Otherwise, our character is it's a difficult, more difficult thing to, to change. Um, and, um, and so, you know, so this idea came to my mind is, like, how would you describe who we are if people were to ask you, who, who's FCBC? How would you describe who we are?
Right. Uh, it was a long description. Uh, there were a, a small community seeking to You're doing good. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> serve Christ where we're at in this community. Yeah, this area, right, which is, which is uh, the campus and the uh, triangle. Sure. When I think of faith community, of course, I think of a small group of people that started in the basement of the region, pilgrimage to Franklin School, and then the high school at West, and then to the credit union, always changing with a variety of different people, um, everything from students at the very outset to people coming in from outside who were really wanting to go overseas, and then finally marching down Regent Street to this building and settling here for the first time. Scrappy. <laughs> I think whenever I've described FCBC to my friends and family, I say um, like a group that is very open to God's presence in whatever form it takes and also people who are there for you when you need them, mm -hmm. when you're moving, when you have a ch child, everything like that. I would also notice that we are uh, people that worship and serve, uh, and uh, also a church that is always wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus. Yeah. can add more if you want to. I mean, that's kind of the idea behind those we are statements, right? We are, they kind of talk about who we are and who we're becoming and describe some of the character of our body um, as we seek to become more like Christ. So the, ma so the main idea of, of this is not just to ask who we are, but also who we are becoming or who God wants us to be in the future. Because I really feel like as we've been doing these studies, um, and we've been talking about this book that there's a reason behind it and God's giving us an opportunity to kind of maybe find out who we are, re renew that, but also find a new way forward for the future. Because who we are isn't just about what we do on a Sunday, but this still a lot defines who we are, right? This is because this is the primary time that we meet together. I'll talk more about that. But anyway, so the idea that the book brings out is... Um, is that I, I, identity is both who we are and how we act together, right? It's our character that defines us as a, as a people. And the book says basically that we're formed by our strongest attachments. Um, our character, who we really are, is shaped by our interaction with other people, the ones we want to be like and the ones we want to be with. Um, so to shape our character, we need to be together, right? We need to live together and experience um, that reality. 
Um, or the reality is our character is going to be more formed by the people we spend most of our time with. That's a, another way to put it, right? So our loved ones, the people that are close to us. And that's how God made our brains. Our brains are, des- are designed to identify with and be like a group of people. We, we see this, again, the best example is if you've raised children, we're always concerned about who we're, they're hanging out with because we know they're going to end up emulating them. It's natural. And we think when we get older, we're immune to it, but that's not true, right? Even as we grow older, we find ourselves emulating the people that we want to hang out with, the people that we listen to, the people that we learn from, the people that we hang out with. Um, and, and, and there's a reason, because that's how God created us. Now, we also have this idea, in the, in the, and the author talks a bit about this, that willpower is not enough to change our character. I don't know how many of us believe that willpower is enough anymore. I think most of us are at an age where we've gotten to the point where we realize, nope, it doesn't work. That we all need help in order to become the people that we want to be and that we can't do it alone. If you're willing to go to counseling, you understand what that's like, right? Um, if you ask people to pray for you, you understand what that's like. So as I was thinking about this one, I found something interesting. You know that the figure of speech, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? You know where that came from? Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, yeah. No, it actually came from a late 1800s physics school book that contained an example question, why cannot a man lift himself up by pulling up on his bootstraps? It's a physics question. And the reality is you can't. It's impossible, right? So it, be, when it, be, it became a colloquial phrase referring to socioeconomic advancement. And it was meant to be sarcastic or to suggest that it was an impossible accomplishment for a person of low socioeconomic stature to pull themselves up and lift themselves up out of poverty, that they needed help for it. How did it ever become a truth? How did it move from sarcasm to the truth? Yes, you should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What I, what I, what I found too, in general, our culture completely agrees that that is possible. So one of, the, one of the big things, especially among the rich people now, is this belief that of self-made people, You've heard of that, right? Self-made men, self-made women. These, and, they're, and now they're claiming 68% of the rich people in the world are self-made. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a guy, his name is Jason Ford. He's a millionaire entrepreneur and investor. He wrote in a post um, uh, that he's often viewed as the poster child for self-made narrative. Um, but he says, um, he says in a tweet, we can blow up this myth that I'm self-made success. I I had something to do with it, but I also had some serious help. Didn't do it alone, right? I didn't inherit my wealth. I I created it, Ford said on on PBS Hour in 2017, right? Um, But it looked a little deeper, and it turns out that version of my success story is a lie. Yes, my family background is rather humble. Both of my parents were teachers. I grew up in in hand-me-down clothes from our neighbors. But um, he says, I don't disavow hard work but instead says there is much more to the story of his own success, including, for example, his access to education and his being a white man. He said, just as not everyone is qualified to be an astronaut, it takes a special kind of person to be an entrepreneur. You need discipline, intelligence, that not all people have, extreme dedication, but the best astronaut in the world can't fly to the moon unless someone gives them a rocket. Good point, right? And he goes on, he lists the things. He says, I was born with a decent, intelligent curiosity and energetic personality. 
This, this was nothing that I worked for or earned, right? My home growing up was safe and secure and I felt loved. This enabled me to develop confidence in myself and an optimistic outlook for life. I had a great childhood education, which I parlayed into college scholarship and a degree. Both of his parents are teachers, right, who value uh, education. I was debt-free in part due to a large inheritance from my grandmother. My wife's family made introductions to successful leaders that helped me learn how to start a business. Our family safety net meant I wasn't worried about where we would live or how we would eat if the business failed. My wife's grandmother provided $250,000 to get my business off the ground. And in my intersections with potential partners, customers, and investors, my physical appearance as a young white male opened doors that might otherwise have been closed consciously or not. It's an interesting point, isn't it? So, the, the, again, the main point of this chapter kind of points this out. How can we change our character? How can we become better people by being a part of a joy-filled Hesed community where you make strong attachments with people and there is a clear group identity right, that we all know the answer to? Does that make sense? I know I, I see this in, in a group like InterVarsity on campus with students. Um, you know, uh, yes, it, campus is an anomaly. I've said it before. Who else would put 30,000 18 to 20-year-olds with raging ideologies and hormones together in the same place without chaperones? Kind of crazy if you think about it, right? Yes, they're adults, but um, there's no elder oversight or younger children to sober them up. I, I do see that children sober people up, don't they, little kids? Makes you think twice about a lot of your actions and decisions. The, I would never want my kid to see that, although I watch it, right? There's something about that that's weird. Um, and, uh, and so that, that reality is, is just an anomaly, but, but, the way, but, but what they experience in the way of community is transformational. A group like InterVarsity on campus where they make friends that, are, that exist for a lifetime, where they live life together, where they overcome the trials that they face in college. They're making huge decisions for their life. They have friends they know they can depend on, people that are always there, that they can stay up till two or three in the morning talking to, which they often do, right? They're always there. They live together. They have this. They work together on projects with one another. They do missions trips. They worship together, not just on Sunday, but, but sometimes daily. They pray together all the time, right? Um, that's that, and that creates an environment where they can be shaped and molded together. But then what happens? They leave college, and we say reality strikes, right? Um, they get disconnected from that reality. They find themselves isolated and struggling, separated from community, going to churches that for the most part are only part-time communities, or, right? That just get together for a few hours a day like a support group, but often do little uh, in day-to-day -day lives. And many of them, what happens? They fall away. They lose their faith. That's what we're seeing more and more happen. Students who are really passionate for Jesus a couple years down the road saying, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't want this Christian uh, you know, symbol on me. Some of it has to do with what's been happening in the world around us. I think a lot of it has to do with isolation and, and just the way we live out church. Am I going too far? Does this make sense? Or are you guys like, eh, I'm not interested? Seriously. I'm, I'm being serious right now. You know, that there's a community we've often talked about. You've said it before. You guys remember the Moravians? Right? 
we are like, wow, check these people out. They prayed 24-7 for 100 years. We're like, ooh, especially a church like ours that's big around the area of prayer. Like, wow, they were amazing. These people, they started prayer in 1727, round-the-clock prayer watch, and continued nonstop for 100 years. By 1791, 65 years later, they'd sent out 300 missionaries from this a small, very small community, right? Not, not alone, but in communities, in groups. Many of those people died on the mission field, um, which was common. They're actually considered the first Protestants now. Some people say long bef- this happened before Luther. And, 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 uh, and yet these were a community of believers focused on becoming like Jesus together. And wherever they went, they would establish communities. Communities founded around prayer and study of the scripture um, and following Jesus. You got, think about some of the students that have left here. Were you not struck by Joey Bile? Right? What was it about him that struck you? He was motivated. He was passionate. What else? Yeah, he had a heart for God. Or Madison and Caleb. Right? What did they decide? They joined a group. That's a community, right? That lives together with the purpose of, of being disciples in the world. And what are they doing? They're traveling the globe, sharing the name of Jesus wherever they go. Now, we can all say, well, that's not me. It's not what I'm called to. Maybe it's American, right, evangelical. But it's cert- there's certainly something to it, to the passion there. Yes, they're young, but there's something about the way that they're doing it, right? The fact that they're doing this together in community. They're not alone. They're not individuals. They have a group identity that's focused on being one and going out to spread the word wherever they go. Yeah, some of this stuff, and I, if I hope they don't watch this, some of the stuff they talk about, I'm like, you need to study your scripture a little bit better, right? But they have a passion that I can't, I can't compare with. And I see that, and I, and I long for that for us. It's still possible, even though we're an older congregation. And I think that's what a lot of kids are looking for as well. I, I'm going to do something with us really quickly. So we're going to look at, break up into groups. We'll spend 10 minutes doing this, and then we'll end. Look, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Lori, can you pass these out? Um, and we're just going to ask two questions. Now, the question is, as you read through this passage, what are the we are statements that come out of this for you? Or how would you define, what would you say, or how would you write out we are statements from it? And then the other question, just to talk in your group, is how do these, or could these help us become more like Jesus together as a community? All right? So break up in the groups, groups of five-ish maybe is that good that would work yeah i think you make up like three groups and just kind of get together and make circles yeah thank you and on people on uh, zoom can do that together Yeah, four or five. Make you can maybe make four groups. All right. Let's pull it back together. So I'd love if anyone had something like profound or 
thoughtful that they wanted to share, now's your opportunity. What did you get out of this exercise? Or maybe you heard something from someone else that you thought was, no, that was really good. What do you learn from this passage or from these questions? What struck you? This is embarrassing to talk about <coughs> because a lot of this is, you know, possibly myth in our family. But according to the myth, um, great-grandpa Louie, who came to live with us in San Antonio, was a lovely man, uh, used to own a um, hardware store in Brooklyn, okay? Um, my grandfather, my dad's father, Charles, went to work for him. He came to the United States. I understand there's a funny story about, you've probably, if I haven't told you, probably, you know, he came to visit his great aunt. His great aunt said, you need new shoes, new clothes, and a new name. And why don't you go to the Arrow store? Oh, great idea. Let's call you, instead of Terriber, let's call you Taro. And that's how we got our name, you know, T-A-R. Anyway, so this Charles Taro was sent by Louis back to our hometown in Belarus. I mean, it, it was Poland then, called Kletsk. And he made an appeal sometime in the 30s, I think, to the people in Klatsk who might want to, what, um, migrate to the United States and become United States citizens like Charles did. And, of course, you know the sad end to that story. Nobody came. I guess they needed to take care of their chickens there, and so all of them were killed in a single day when the Nazis invaded then Poland. Um, and it just prompted me to think, you know, we don't, I don't, I'm very much like Grandpa Charles, who was sealed into his small world and had no evangelical base on which to invite people to return. And we don't, we're kind of following the same thing. We don't make phone calls to our friends. We don't call people. We're preoccupied with our own life. And we don't even witness to the people inside our own little community, um, Green Tree Glen. And I'm thinking, hmm, I seem to be taking after my grandfather. Maybe that's not a good plan now that I've become a Christian. For me, this is... Um we, we didn't really, we talk about a lot of different things, but for me, the we are statement is that we are an unfinished work, a work in progress. I don't know if this word combination works, but taking it from the text, we are selflessly ambitious. That is, we're ambitious for other people. As we're going through this book and we're looking at this, these studies, 
it's important for us to kind of evaluate what is God trying to, to teach us, you know, I, through all of this. I know that um, you know, one of the reasons we're doing this is that we can become tighter, kind of reintegrate after being apart for so long in COVID, um, in, you know, increase joy and love together so that we're ready for the next season. But as I was preparing this, this message, the question came to me also that I hadn't thought of before. Um, is this season an opportunity for our body? Is this season an opportunity for us not only to experience life together, but to possibly redefine what we look like as a church? That's a big question. But I do think it's one we need to ask, right? Because I do think we can have a bigger impact on our community if we, if we redefine what church looks like for us. And I don't think we're supposed to just do what we've been doing. I love this service on a Sunday, but honestly, we're not making an impact on this neighborhood. So what? What do we do, Lord? That's part of the question that's there. How do we change in order to become the body you created us to be, right? To have an impact on this little community that you've placed us in. What can we do in order for that to happen? How do we act? How do we love? Um, what does life together look like moving forward? Let me, let me pray. Lord, bless us as we move forward together, as we wrestle, as we struggle. I'll be honest, I do not like change. So change is not easy, but we've been forced to experience a lot of it lately. So in it, we trust you and we ask God that you would guide and direct, that you would provide all that we need um, and that you would knit us together as one. So what we decide in the future um, feels like it's something that we're all giving our amen to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And just a few announcements. Again, thank you everyone who helped make this possible. Um, really enjoyed worship, musical worship today, and thankful for all the techie people. Thank you guys for what you do. Um, we um, we met last Wednesday, and uh, we'll be, we Lori sent out an email about it. Please follow up. If you were in one of those groups, there it's more than likely we'll call you back together again and to discuss some more about how we move forward. We need to kind of put some more feet to some of the things that we talked about. We definitely are going to call back a group to work on the prayer room for Holy Week and talking about restructuring this space for the week of prayer. That's starting um, in April the 9th is, is, um, uh, is Palm Sunday. So um, we still have a worship night coming up, right? At the end of the month, last Friday of the month. Yeah, um, so that's something for us to be praying for as well. Okay, great, good. Yeah, you're welcome to, to join us then if you'd like. And then let's con continue to look for ways to love one another uh, to kind of express the said to each other as we move forward. Thank you. Bless you.